0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach: local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and. And exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24 7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID 19. Call now at 1 888 Recovery. That's 1 888 Recovery. Talk radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia, radio.com station Doctor Lead the Way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning on this last day in February. No leaping this year. February is heart month, not just because it includes Valentine's Day, but because of the need for the constant reminder that heart disease is the most common cause of death and disability in adults in the U.S., including women. Sadly, many women are not aware of the magnitude of this risk. Today we're joined by Dr. Lisa Freed, who will share her wisdom about the need to make women aware, the prevalence and likelihood of heart and vascular disease in women, symptoms of heart disease, which which can be classic or atypical, and risk factors that you can recognize and work to eliminate. We'll also hear from Ms. Stephanie Austin and her remarkable story of a near-death experience and how she was brought back to life by her husband's quick reflexes to perform CPR. Dr. Lisa Fried, an assistant clinical professor at the Yale School of Medicine and the director of Yale New Haven Hospital's Women's Heart and Vascular Program. Welcome Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Lisa, we have a lot of good information to share. How important is heart disease, which would include vascular disease like strokes, how important is that in women?
0: Heart disease is incredibly important in women. In fact, cardiovascular diseases like heart attack and stroke are the number one killer in American women. So I guess really the first step in in prevention
1: is awareness. And what can you tell us about the public's perception?
0: Awareness is absolutely key. Uh, For about 30 years, um, between 1984 and 2013, more American women than men were dying of heart disease. Unfortunately, both women and healthcare providers were unaware of this problem, so many physicians like myself began public awareness campaigns to educate the community. Mm -hmm. Now, I know the American Heart Association has been active since
1: 2004 with their campaign called Go Red for Women, especially during February Heart Month, educational events all around the country. And you mentioned the other day we were chatting, a cardiology journal like Circulation surveyed women in 2009 and again in 2019. What did that show us?
0: Yeah, so the American Heart Association has been keeping very close tabs um, on awareness in women and in physicians and trying to promote that awareness. Um, And despite all the campaigns and the original progress that they did make um, in teaching the public, there was actually a marked decrease in this most recent study, a decrease in awareness that heart disease is the number one uh, cause of death in women. Um, Interestingly, it was except women over 65. And we wonder if, um, since those were the women that have been targeted from the beginning of these programs. If maybe we did make an impact on that group, but the younger women um, seem to be less aware at this point. Um, women, in fact, were more likely to identify breast cancer as the number one cause of death, um, especially those women who were less than 34. Wow, well, and we know that heart
1: disease has seven times as many deaths as breast cancer. Not that they're mutually exclusive; they're both important, but. Um, heart disease can't be ignored so why do you think this happened
0: um, they they did um, poll the women um, and they asked them um, what what their lifestyle was like and it when younger women are less likely to report leading a healthy lifestyle. Um, they report lack of time to take care of themselves, more stressors in their lives. Um, and unfortunately, going along with that, in the past two decades, more women between the ages of 35 and 54 are having heart attacks. Um, the conclusion um, that the study made was that we need to increase our efforts to educate women, especially younger women, Hispanic and non-Hispanic black, and also to target the OBGYNs, um, who often perform primary care for the women in order to educate patients better.
1: And you make a good point there, because so many women think of their OBGYN doc as their primary care physician, and that might be the only place where we get to stress having their blood pressure checked. I know with colon cancer, the risk for colon cancer is increased if a woman has ovarian or uterine, and the reverse is true, so we're trying to work with the... National OBGYN academies to partner with that as well. So, what symptoms would a woman look for?
0: Um, there are um, two different type. The cardiologists group symptoms into two different categories. Um, they call some symptoms, typical symptoms, and then the other category, atypical symptoms. In general, women are less likely to associate their symptoms with heart disease, and more likely to wait before seeking medical attention. Um, So often they're underdiagnosed for heart disease. Um, The typical symptoms is what we call the Hollywood heart attack. Um, People develop chest discomfort, can either be pain, or pressure, or tightness, like the elephant sitting in the middle of your chest, Mm -hmm. um, can radiate to the left, radiate down Uh, to their left arm up to their left neck they can have associated shortness of breath nausea vomiting and sweating so those are the typical symptoms Um, atypical symptoms can have people can have shortness of breath without chest discomfort um, neck shoulder or back pain without any other associated symptoms nausea and vomiting without chest pain Um, and then they can also have something called vital fatigue where they are just so tired um, that they can't even get out of bed and and get going in the morning or they don't even have the energy to make their breakfast that this is ongoing fatigue that um, sometimes comes along with of comfort sometimes not um, also, women tend to have more uh, pain that's from their heart or angina when they're at rest or with mental stress. Um, overall, the most common symptom that women present with with heart attacks is still chest discomfort. Um, but women overall are more likely to have the atypical symptoms than men are. It's really important for
1: women to hear you say that just prolonged fatigue, I guess that's decreased blood flow, right? If they're pumped, yes, their heart's not right. pumping as well, scary. So what would someone do if they have symptoms?
0: If someone has what we call acute symptoms, they have the sudden onset of chest discomfort and shortness of breath or any of the symptoms, the the Hollywood heart symptoms that I described, or even the atypical ones, um, the very first thing they should do is call 911. As they're doing that, they should chew for baby aspirin. Baby aspirin are the ones that are 81 Mm -hmm. milligrams um, while they're waiting for the ambulance to come. Um, There's been actually many studies um, that look at who women consult uh, for their healthcare advice, just in their regular lives, not their physicians necessarily. Um, And it's been shown that if they go up to a perfect stranger on the street and say they're having chest discomfort, they will get to the hospital much quicker than if they asked their husband. If they ask their husband, they often hear, oh, you had indigestion last night, or maybe you're just stressed out, and they actually delay calling 911. Um, So I always tell my patients that if they think they're having a heart attack, to run out onto the street, tell a perfect stranger, and they'll get to the hospital in the right amount of time. I guess the
1: person who really loves them is in denial. They don't want to think their wife's having a heart attack.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely part of mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Um, if their symptoms are more gradual, um, say they develop chest pain when they're lifting a laundry basket or walking up a flight of steps, and it's a slow and more gradual onset that they're noticing these symptoms, um, the right thing to do in that case is to tell their primary care provider um, so they can get an electrocardiogram. Um or get sent perhaps to a cardiologist for a stress test. Now, I know there
1: are risk factors that are common to men and women, and and we think about traditional risk factors that we can't control. You can't pick your genes and you can't stop the clock. So age, men over 45, women over 55, but that family history is so important. Know your family history. And if you have a first degree relative who's had a premature heart attack or stroke, men under age 55, women under 65, and we tell our patients first degree relative is somebody right next to you, a sibling or a parent. What are the ones least of the risk factors that we can treat or improve?
0: Um, Let's talk about uh, one at a time. Let's talk about hypertension. Um, Before menopause, more men than women are hypertensive, but after menopause, more women than men are. Um, Salt has a much higher risk of increasing blood pressure after menopause, um, and other risk factors for hypertension in women are obesity, physical inactivity, increased salt intake, diabetes, and greater than two alcoholic drinks per day. Um, The treatment target for men and women is to keep their target blood pressure less than 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury.
1: And I think people the um, need to hear that new, um, I guess it's within the last year or so, that it's no longer 140 over 90, 130 over 80. And the other thing, maximum two servings of alcohol a day, uh, a day for men, one per woman, at least for cancer risk. And you can see um, the other interesting thing you mentioned, Lisa, that salt has more of an impact, a negative impact after menopause. That's something people should hear too. Yes,
0: that's correct. Mm-hmm. We
1: have about a minute left. Let's talk about diabetes for a little bit and then we'll go into the next segment.
0: Okay. Um, so, diabetes um, increases the risk of heart attack and stroke and death from uh, these cardiovascular causes two times uh, in women, uh, which is greater than the increased risk for men. Um, the women have cardio protection from their hormones from their estrogens and progesterones pre-menopause if they develop diabetes before they have menopause that advantage that they have over men actually goes away um, though the um, treatments for men and women in diabetes is the same they have the same target goal something called the hemoglobin a1c uh, which is a three-month average of the glucose should be less than seven percent
1: good to know these are great pieces of advice let's take a little break and we'll be right back with dr lisa freed from yale Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back with Dr. Lisa Free, cardiologist from Yale. Lisa, we were talking about the risk factors that increase the likelihood of a woman having heart attack or stroke. Let's talk about smoking. I don't think enough emphasis is put on that.
0: Smoking is a really, really important risk factor for women. Um, Heart disease is two to four times higher in women who smoke one pack a day than in uh, female non-smokers. A study showed um, even that with one to four cigarettes per day, um, women have an increased risk of heart disease. Male smokers have a heart attack seven years earlier than male non-smokers, but for women, for women it's much more significant. Women smokers have their first heart attack 19 years earlier than female non-smokers. Um, we don't really know exactly why that is, but it's been associated with perhaps a difference in clotting factors. That women um, have more clotting factors than men, and so more likely to have a heart attack um, when they combine it with the cigarette smoke. Um, but there is hope. Um, if you have smoked more than 20 pack years, which we calculate as either one pack for, pack a day for 20 years or two pack a day for 10 years, um, there's a lower risk of um, developing heart disease if you quit. Um, within five years, your risk goes down um, compared to a current non-smoker. I mean, a current smoker, and there's a significantly lower risk after quitting for 10 to 15 years. That really brings your risk down closer to that of a non- never smoker. It's interesting
1: when you distinguish the, the increased risk in women versus men because colon cancer behaves the same way. Women that have uh, that smoke, um, colon cancer is nastier than in men who smoke. Let's talk about the risk factors that are more specific to women. I, I love how you outlined that.
0: Yeah, so um, new guidelines, um, it's actually the fourth set of guidelines that pertain just to women in heart disease, came out in September of 2020, and they this time chose to identify risk factors that were just specific to women. Um, and um, they also did cover the traditional ones, but they focus quite a bit on these. Um, they've come to realize that 10 to 20% of pregnancies have adverse outcomes. And those adverse outcomes are associated with a 1.8 to fourfold risk of future cardiovascular disease. Wow. Um, yeah. The um. The types of adverse outcomes um, that they're talking about um, are: is it if you develop hypertension while you're pregnant, um, or you develop diabetes while you're pregnant? Um, if you have preterm birth before 37 weeks, um, or early preterm birth uh, before 34 weeks, um, if your baby um, develops intrauterine growth restriction, where the fetal birth weight is less than 10, the 10th percentile, they also identified some other female-specific conditions. People who have premature menopause, so that's before the age of 40, um, are at increased risk of heart disease, and that speaks to the protective hormones going away earlier um, in a woman's life. Um, If women develop polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a common uh, problem in younger women where they have irregular periods, infertility, and insulin resistance, um, which is sort of a form of diabetes, um, or if they develop autoimmune or inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus
1: and that word inflammatory seems to pop up all the time I guess when we, th- we think about COVID and how that can damage and cause heart problems and vascular problems because the inflammation um, causes diseased vessels that lead to heart attacks what are the benefits of the statin drugs let's hear a little bit about that
0: Yep. So the statin drugs um, are drug medications that we use um, to lower the LDL or the bad cholesterol. Um, and this is the one that's thought to be active um, in plaques in arteries um, and lead to heart attacks or strokes. Um, these might have heard of these medications, the atorvastatin or simvastatin, pravastatin. Um, in general, um, these medis- medications have been studied uh, for... Uh, maybe 20-30 years Um, but women are less likely to have these prescribed Um, and interestingly they're more likely to decline the treatment and less likely to continue taking it once they've been started on it. Um, Some of this is from early data, many of the studies didn't include women, and so there was the thinking that perhaps these drugs weren't as effective in women um, for what we call primary prevention, meaning women who haven't had heart attacks or strokes. Turns out from recent studies that um, statins are really equally effective in men and women, both for primary prevention, people who haven't had heart attacks, and for secondary prevention, people who have already had heart attacks and strokes.
1: But it just emphasizes how important your work is as an educator out in the community because you just mentioned women are less likely to even have these prescribed so as the awareness increases hopefully that will improve outcomes is there a benefit for women to take aspirin daily baby aspirin
0: Um, Yes. Um, If you've had a heart attack or a stroke, um, there's absolutely no doubt that it is effective in women and, in fact, reduces the risk of future events by 25%. Um, If women are otherwise healthy, have not had a heart attack or stroke, and really have none of the cardiac risk factors that we've talked about, then there actually is no proven benefit for aspirin in them and, in fact, may increase their risk of bleeding. Um, If someone has many risk factors, they're diabetic, they're high they have high blood pressure, they smoke, um, and no history of bleeding, then it's something to consider, something for their doctor to consider for them to give them a baby aspirin.
1: And I think, again, we tell our patients so often, please, when you see your doctor or healthcare provider, please tell us if you're taking anything over the counter. And I think the baby aspirin idea, um, what you said is so important, because people think, baby aspirin cuddly can't hurt me it's baby it must be good and I can buy it over the counter without a script so how could it be bad and I have seen so many uh, as an internist uh, you know not I practice GI but GI bleeders people come in with anemia because they have a slow trickle their stomach lining is irritated they have small ulcers and they lose a little bit of blood each day and over time they come in with a heart attack ironically because their blood count is low so chicken and egg and make sure to our listeners tell your doctor if you're taking any supplements or medicines or you're borrowing your your husband's uh, antacids we should know what's what you're taking how has covid affected heart disease risk lisa that's a big one
0: Yeah, so we're just starting to understand um, all the things that COVID can do to the heart. Um, One of the things we know that it does for sure um, is it can cause a cardiomyopathy or a weakening of the heart muscle, as many viruses um, can. Um, That in turn can lead to congestive heart failure if the muscle is functioning poorly. It also can lead to arrhythmias um, as well, irregular heartbeats. Um, The other thing that COVID um, has shown us is that it can actually cause blood clots that can lead to heart attacks, strokes, or pulmonary emboli, which are clots to the lungs. Have we learned uh, very
1: much uh, from the data collected so far? I don't know if there's any other than it's the immune system. And I wonder if um, people getting the vaccines, I know the people that finish the first two vaccines in the trials are probably six months out or so. So it'll be interesting to see as we follow people um, you know
0: uh, if there's a decrease in in these events. Oh I absolutely think there will be for people who are vaccinated. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The inflammation again is the the bad actor here um, as in as you said so many other things and without with getting vaccinated and not having an active infection um, there definitely will be a decrease in these events.
1: And we were very fortunate about two weeks ago we had a wonderful professor on from University of Penn dental school And Mm -hmm. he really enlightened us with the connection or the probable link between poor dentition or inflamed gums or gingivitis, bacteria buildup uh, linked with heart disease. What do you think about that?
0: Mm Um, I think there's absolutely a connection between the two. Um, What we're not entirely clear about is um, how it's connected. Um, There's the idea that the bacteria from the gums can enter the bloodstream and cause damage to the blood vessels, or perhaps it's the body's immune response um, to the bacteria, and that, again, leads to the inflammation that we've been talking about that damages the blood vessels. Or, in fact, there may not be a direct connection, but it may go through a third factor, like smoking, that can cause both poor dentition, gum disease, and heart disease. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think it's interesting, and you can say if this is right or wrong, I I thought I read the other day that we were making progress uh, in decreasing risk for heart attack and stroke because we were making progress with hypertension and um, smoking, um, education, but because of the rise in obesity, obesity is just taking over the planet. I know in our GI world, our big concern is that as of 2020 the number one cause for liver failure is fatty liver
0: yes yes no that's absolutely true obesity connects to diabetes it connects to hypertension Mm -hmm. it connects to hyperlipidemia so it really pervades um, the causes of heart disease as well and
1: I wonder if that's why we're seeing it more in young women you know Yes. and um, all the the awareness campaigns campaigns are great um, and the pink campaigns are fantastic but I think that may be indirectly why sometimes women think mammogram is done. So I'm glad you're out there spreading the red. Spread the red. <laughs> Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Lisa Freed from Yale.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar, type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: And we're back with a very special guest, Ms. Stephanie Austin. She's here to share her remarkable story of survival and impress upon us the importance of CPR. Welcome, Stephanie. Take us back, it's 2008, you're 35 years old, the mother of two little boys married to a busy surgeon. You were super fit, playing on three men's soccer teams, ultimate frisbee and taking tennis lessons and PTA president. Tell us what happened that late July
2: when you were on a weekend in Ocean City? That was just a crazy day. We, we went to the Phillies game like anybody else, like thousands of others the night before, and we went to our beach home, which we had just purchased, and went to sleep, and it was just a normal night until uh, about 6 a.m. that morning. A resident called Matt, my husband, to ask uh, what turned out to be somewhat of a silly question, but thank goodness he did because mm-hmm. he was awake to hear me take what would have been my final breaths.
1: Oh, And he heard your breathing. It was irregular. And his instinct said something's not right here. And he turned you over and he noticed you were blue. Your pupils were dilated. He called 911 and he instantly started CPR. And then what happened?
2: He did. Um, We were very, I'm so fortunate that Matt knows CPR and that he's good in a crisis. So he started CPR and then ultimately he heard the sirens approaching the house. So the poor guy had to stop doing CPR, run down three flights of steps (sighs) At which time he's telling our four year old to go wake up the seven year old and let the EMTs and the medics come into the house and then run back up the three flights of steps so they could attend to me.
1: Oh my goodness. And I remember you saying that when the EMTs took over and then they were taking you to the ambulance, Matt's across the street getting neighbors to help watch the boys and he calls the EMT
2: and he says, pulse? And what did the EMT say? The EMT yelled back no pulse and Matt at that point realized they still did not have me back and the neighbors told me that Matt just turned this awful shade of gray and um, and he proceeded to give the children to them and off he went to follow me to the hospital oh
1: I mean I have chills listening to you recount the story again every time I hear it so you went to the local hospital eventually you were medevac to Jefferson that was Sunday morning do you remember waking up on Monday afternoon?
2: I I wish I did. Uh, You wouldn't believe how many people ask me if I saw a light or what I saw. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I do not remember anything. I don't remember anything from the year that it happened, from the year before or the year after, because I have some brain damage from the event itself. So uh, my hospital stay, I have about, you know, two 10 second clips of it in my head. Um, But I've heard a lot of interesting stories
1: oh i bet i remember you saying that somebody showed you a picture of your boys who were seven and four at the time and said oh they're cute and it was a little hard to recognize your sister tara and your brother with a beard and
2: at one point you thought you were pregnant that would have been fun too but
1: yeah it worked very well yeah. no
2: i think they all i, I think it, it's entertaining in hindsight at the time mm-hmm. they did not know my friends and family were not sure how to respond to me because i I was acting my normal self in that I was upbeat and funny and relaxed, but I was obviously speaking nonsense, so that was difficult. And even after leaving the hospital two weeks later, I left with a whiteboard that had my most frequently asked questions written on it with the answers because I perseverated on certain things.
1: Right, and I'm sure people didn't want to frighten you and and throw you off because gradually things would probably come into play. So you spent two weeks in the hospital and you came home with a pacemaker and a defibrillator and so people know this wasn't a heart attack, it was a congenital or hereditary heart um, condition called cardiomyopathy or a weakened heart. So it took six months to recuperate. What was the most frustrating part of that process?
2: Oh, my gosh! I would say probably the most frustrating part was that to the outside world, I looked fine and in, I actually looked better than fine. I looked super fit, but there was nothing normal about my life upon um you know returning to the to my house I yeah. was sleeping 18 hours a day uh, my memory was in shambles i couldn't walk more than a block and you know 3 weeks prior i could have played a 90 minute soccer game and run the whole time so mm-hmm. that was difficult
1: and in these 13 years you've worked so hard you are active uh, in maybe not doing singles tennis but doubles tennis and but you and Matt i've listened to your story we had a, a, such a nice opportunity to talk and People should understand that when a person is sick or there's a trauma, that, that the people around you go through trauma too. And you and Matt both went through such trauma, but for different reasons. And I know one of the things that I carried away was that you said you felt guilty and it was a really hard lesson. Tell people about that.
2: That that was very difficult because I had a lot of guilt at not being able to do what I had used to do. and. Uh, that I needed help with so much and that I had to depend on many others and I had always prided myself on being independent and capable and strong. And uh, I went to therapy and that was the greatest lesson I learned from therapy was that my therapist said to me, is anyone making you feel guilty? And I said, oh gosh, no, everyone has been so supportive. And she said, so you're doing it to yourself. I said, Yes, I guess I am. So I really worked hard on that. And I think too, the other lesson that I took away from
1: listening to you is don't worry about other people's expectations. You had a a major life-threatening event. It's miraculous that you're still here. God bless you, God bless your dear husband. Um, And even if it's something like the pandemic, take what you have and move forward. Um, you and 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 you have in such a beautiful way you're a tireless volunteer 10 years now this episode was 13 years ago I know you celebrate your second birthday every July 26th is it yes um, every and, uh, 27th yes tw- uh, 27th I'm coming over to, I'm bringing the cake this year you're a volunteer <laughs> an advocate a fundraiser for American Heart Association what's the most important lesson that you can share with our listeners
2: uh, I, I want Uh, Well, first, learn CPR. There is now hands-only CPR, which we know increases survival two to three times. You don't have to do mouth-to-mouth. And, you know, people need to realize you can't make somebody more dead. And learning CPR enables you to be a lifesaver, and it's very easy. So I encourage that. The other thing is for women to know that heart disease is the number one killer of them. And for survivors to realize we have a voice, so use that voice to educate your friends your family and and that's why we actually started I I started a campaign called faces of heart so we can honor women who have survived cardiovascular disease and are trying to help the community
1: and I want people to see that video faces of heart the story of Stephanie Austin it is so beautiful I watched it three times faces of heart the story of Stephanie Austin and you can see it on YouTube And you can see it on the American Heart Association website, heart.org. Stephanie, one thing for sure, you certainly do have a very big heart, and we love you for it. I heart you, Stephanie.
2: Oh, Marianne, thank you so much for this. This has been such a pleasure. I've got goosebumps. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. Stay well. Always. You too. Thanks for listening
1: to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers
0: of America. When needed, call RCA. 1-888-RECOVERY.
1: And we're in our last segment with Dr. Lisa Fried from Yale University, our cardiologist extraordinaire. Lisa, when should women begin having screening for cardiac disease?
0: Actually, it should start in childhood. Um, They actually now recommend universal screening uh, for children between the age of 9 and 11 um, for their lipids, um, and again, uh, between the age of 17 and 19. Um, When children go to the pediatrician, they do get their blood pressure checked. Um, These things should happen at the very beginning. um, And This should happen in all children, not just those with strong family history of cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. Um, Later on, as uh, people grow out of their pediatricians, um, as they see their primary care doctors or their OBGYNs, again, regular blood pressure checks um, and checking their lipids, generally... um, every couple of years, every three or so years, as long as they're normal, um, is adequate. Um, As they get to the point where they're getting mammograms, what I always say to my patients is, when you're thinking about scheduling your mammogram, say to yourself, have I had my blood pressure checked this year? Did anyone check my blood glucose or my blood sugar? Um, Have I had my lipids done or my cholesterol done in my blabs? Um, And kind of make that a mantra so that, as you're taking care of your um, your breast health, your risk for cancer, you're also taking care of your heart health. Um, the other time that women should be screened is if they've had one of those complications of pregnancy that we discussed earlier, they should be screened for cardiovascular risk factors, they say after three months after delivery.
1: Interesting, three months is a, a number to keep in mind. So when should women yeah. say their their a primary doc, they wanna see a cardiologist?
0: Yeah. Um, so the the times that um, women are referred to me are when their risk factors are not well controlled, if their primary doctor is having trouble controlling their blood pressure or their lipids, um, if they've developed symptoms um, that are suggestive of heart disease, like chest pain or shortness of breath, if they have a significant family history of heart disease, or if they themselves have developed some form of heart disease, they've had a heart attack or a stroke. Sure,
1: sure. And if they have palpitations, don't just ignore them and think, you had too much coffee because that could be something life-threatening as well, yes? That's
0: correct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So
1: CPR, if if people hear nothing else we discussed today, CPR saves lives. Tell us about that in our final minute. Yes,
0: absolutely, I'll repeat that, CPR saves lives. Um, the American Heart, Association, American Heart Association says it very nicely. They envision a world where no one dies from a cardiac arrest. Um, there are basic life support classes that are available to anyone. Um, if you were to visit the American Heart Association website, you can find classes in your neighborhood. Um, you can also order kits if you know CPR and you wanna teach a friend or a neighbor in your area. It is absolutely so important.
1: Well, and I think that the American Heart Association does such beautiful work. Their website is heart.org. Easy to remember, heart.org. Lots of great information. As Dr. Free said, you can find places in your neighborhood or your community where you can take a CPR course and the other thing is to learn how to use the AED or the defibrillator. You should know where that is at your workplace and your school. It could save someone's life and you'll feel really so much better if you don't miss that opportunity. Dr. Lisa Fried from the Yale's Women's Heart and Vascular Program, thank you so much for joining us today. We learned a lot and I hope
0: people listen because it can save lives. Thank you so much for helping me spread the word.
1: For your real champion stephanie austin i call this segment staying alive earlier this morning you heard the incredible story of stephanie at 6 a.m on a summer sunday morning her husband matt an orthopedic surgeon got a fortuitous call from a resident upon awakening he noticed that stephanie had irregular breathing and when he turned her over found that she was turning blue she was in cardiac arrest his biggest enemy was the clock By reflex, he jumped into go mode. Quickly calling 911, he acted as Stephanie's heart, pumping blood to keep her organs from failing. Once the EMTs took over and Matt found a neighbor to watch their two sons, he followed the ambulance to the hospital and he was flooded with emotion. Imagine the panic he had to endure. This was his college sweetheart, the mother of his children, his soulmate, and her life was literally in his hands. By day, a master surgeon, routinely performing complex operations. But when the patient is a loved one, the fear is palpable. Stephanie spent two weeks in the hospital and six months recovering, but she learned some valuable lessons. Though she had never taken it for granted before, she was reminded how fragile life is. She has no memory of the episode the year before or the year after, only the events as described by others of course she's closer than ever to her husband who brought her back to life and she appreciates every second with her beautiful boys many people would curl up and withdraw after a shock like this stephanie cherishes her second chance and has found new purpose she shares her story and teaches others that heart disease is the number one cause of death in women and that 80 percent of cardiac events are preventable through healthy lifestyle changes For 10 years, Stephanie's been a volunteer an advocate and fundraiser for the American Heart Association. She credits the American Heart Association for conducting the valuable research that led to the creation of CPR and the defibrillator that rests under her skin. In 2013, she joined the board of the AHA and now serves as this year's chair for the Go Red for Women initiative. Stephanie was only 35 years old when her heart stopped beating from a congenital heart condition. She is so committed to teaching that she has CPR parties for family, friends, neighbors, and advocates for bills in the Pennsylvania House and Senate that will ensure that all students in Pennsylvania have CPR training prior to high school graduation. When you talk to Stephanie, it's almost like she's telling the story about another person. She's full of life and absolutely joyful when she describes her comeback. Now playing doubles tennis several times a week and skiing, she is so grateful for the friends she's made through the AHA and speaks fondly of her band of buddies, other women who also deal with heart disease. Stephanie and Matt donate their time, talent, and treasure. They generously support the Faces of Heart campaign, a program in which survivors of heart disease and stroke share their stories of survival and commit to living healthy lives. For many reasons, I was especially moved by this story. I've watched my own spouse face life-threatening cardiac events, and more than once, I had to stand by while other doctors shocked him back to life. I can only imagine what Matt was feeling since he was the EMT until the ambulance arrived. Take a moment to watch the beautiful YouTube video called Faces of Heart, Stephanie Austin's Story. Visit the American Heart Association website, heart.org, and see where you can take a CPR course in your community. And for you music fans of the disco era, pay close attention to the CPR instructor who will tell you to pump on the chest to the rhythm of the B.G. song, Stayin' Alive. We salute you, Stephanie and Matt Austin, you're real champions. Tune in next week as we begin Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Our guest will be Dr. Mark Pochapin, recent president of the American College of Gastroenterology and the physician who treated Mr. Jay Monahan, late husband of TV anchor, Katie Couric. During March, you can join the blue lights campaign. All of the buildings in Philly go blue during March. There's a national movement to decrease the screening age from 50 down to 45 years of age because it's the number two cause of cancer death and numbers are rising in younger people. More people die of colon cancer than breast cancer. It's common. It's preventable. Put a strand of blue lights on the front of your home or business. A blue light on your porch. Share the message. Stop colon cancer. Get screened. Send us a photograph of your blue lights or you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. That's info at com. There's no February 29th this year, so let the sounds of Sinatra help you leap into March. And always remember that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media Production.